Hi there, dear listeners. Sean Williams here. The Word Docs might be in lockdown, but they have new books out in the wild. Uh, I have two. Her Perilous Mansion, a novel about kids stuck in a house that might be haunted. And The View from the End of the World, a collection of short stories all about the end of the world. And I'm Alex Vickery Howe, and my new play is called Watchlist, about a virus that changes the world. And I'm Amy Matthews, and my alter ego, Tesla Sue, has the conclusion to her four-book Frontiers of the Heart series, out now. It's called Bound for Glory and it's a rollicking western. Now, on with the episode. Why don't you write when you don't need money, honey? That would certainly make a hit. Welcome to Word Docs. This is Alex Vickery Howe. I'm here with the brilliant Sean Williams and the extraordinary Amy Matthews, although I'm not physically with them. We are (laughs) separated by many, many miles. This is all happening during the period of extended social distancing. Uh, But it's great to hear your voices. Hi. Hello. It's great to hear yours too, Alex. Shall I sing for you? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Would you? That would be great. What do you know? No no one wants to endure that, I don't think. Do you take requests? No. Only if it's a karaoke (laughs) bar and I've had many, many drinks. I did a fantastic version of It's a Sin by the Pet Shop Boys once in Tokyo. It's a great song. Once you've done that once, that's the peak, and then I can never do it again. (laughs) You figure your job is done, you need to retire... I need to retire in a hide. The great thing is that um, Japanese people were just turning the lights off and on, like complete strangers were like doing a whole kind of, ooh, <laughs> isn't this scary kind of thing. So anyway. That's fantastic. So were you uh, in this scenario uh, of the nightclub uh, singing this song, were you the hero or the villain? Uh, what, a, what a great... What a great way in. Um, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was so, so well done. So it, was so, it was so subtle that I had to point it out and ruin it. Um, I think, well, if you're singing um, It's a Sin by the Pet Shop Boys, you have to be the villain, right? You might hmm. be the good guy, though, being judgy about people sinning. That's true. Or I, or someone who's deeply uh, remorseful or regretful. <laughs> or forgetful. Um, or forgetful. So uh, yes, well, it was a, it was uh, the the general vibe was pretty dark. So, uh, so villain. So uh, you would. Uh, does that mean you have a natural tendency towards being a villain? Well, one of the things I, I spoke about, I think it was probably in the last podcast, was this idea of past, present, and future thinking. Remember we talked about that? Oh, yes, that's right. And we were saying um, people kind of situate in one of those three spaces. And I said that villains are always future thinking. They're always planning and scheming. So I'm quite attracted to villains because they're the ones who've actually got... Plans. Something in motion, yeah, something to do. Well, they're not Uh, passive, are they? Villains villains are never passive. passive. They're not passive. They're not reactive. And I'm a bit of a planner, I think. So, um, I mean, I haven't got any dastardly plans, but uh, (laughs) I can relate with the sense of trying to get something done. (laughs) So, are you a planner? Can I just, like, just hold on that thought? So, you think about being a planner as a villain, but as a writer, do you plan? Like, do you plan where your plot's going? Uh, I do, I do, but I don't stick to them. Yeah, which is villains too, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well. yeah, you think it's all going to be one thing and then you have this like dastardly whim and uh, you kill off a major character. So yes, it is a bit like being a, a villain. What about you, Sean? Uh, as in uh, planning or plotting or being a villain or a superhero? <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> oh, let's all of the above. that. Do you think you, mm-hmm. you are more attracted to being, so if you think about, 
writing as being an actor and which characters you're more attracted to writing? Are you more attracted to the villains or the heroes? Well, I can tell you that my very first acting role, which may have cast me in a particular role for the rest of my life, was playing a villain. I played a pantomime villain in my grade seven class. I had a (laughs) pop-up cap and a very sharp knife and a painted on moustache. And I enjoyed that so much. I think um, I'd probably have to go down the villain path. I the think first because thing, the first thing I ever had to play and I had to do it three times in primary school was, was the Virgin Mary. <laughs> <laughs> that explains so much. <laughs> the first thing I uh, ever played was when I was about six or seven, I was a daisy in Alice in Wonderland wearing a leotard. And I remember crying because I had to wear a leotard and I thought it would undermine my, you know, seven-year-old masculine vibe. And crying is the best way to express your masculinity as well. I've, I don't know where I've heard this. It also explains a lot. It also explains a lot. I don't know where I've heard this, but they say that your first crush, and it's usually a fictitious character when you're young, right? Your first crush informs your kind of, um, your type, if you like, moving forward and my mm. first crush was the wicked queen in snow white <laughs> really? he's definitely right, a villain mm. <laughs> Look, mine was the most beautiful woman in the land just for the it's record. always a queen with you isn't it always a queen <laughs> mine was sarah jane smith who's definitely a heroic figure so I'm, oh yeah that's valid yeah that's i'm valid. not unhappy with that amy i think mine <laughs> was willing? river phoenix oh. in stand by me oh poor old Dark. tragic river mm. yeah. poetic <laughs> soulful Yes, <laughs> just like Johnny. <laughs> Johnny, who is Amy's partner, who we hope to hear uh, in a podcast soon as a yes, special because guest. We- the thing about lockdown is it's hard to get guests. <laughs> Not to Luckily undermine you live it. One, but- live with one, that's good. Uh, getting back to the kind of hero-villain question, I definitely am more attracted to writing villains, and, and I think it's a problem because, you know, you can't have can't have the villains win in every story. That's... Uh, Why not? Maybe you Start can, a genre. Just do it. Mm. You, the right you do genre. seem to be attracted to quite unpleasant narrators as well, and then having <laughs> to try and make them sympathetic. But I quite like those characters. I really quite like the um, slightly mad characters who are really unpleasant but actually love watching them it's like Scarlett O'Hara right she's a real cow but you quite enjoy watching what she does well it's the uh, like watching a car crash in slow motion Scarlett (laughs) O'Hara in a way which is I don't know just as valid an experience I'm not sure that I would like her I I would hate to be around her in real life it's it's funny because writing romance you have to have the heroine right Mm. And um, a lot of the dangers for romance writers are writing a girl who's a woman who's too good, is too kind of flat and boring and milk soppy mm. and good. So you see a lot of emerging romance writers. It takes them a while to kind of nail a character who's kind of zesty and interesting because your instinct is to make your hero too good. And the mm. good person is so boring, like Prince Charming, right? It's really boring compared to the Wicked Queen. Well, mm. that's why they did, you know, in... in uh in the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast, they turn that on its head with Gaston, I think, so brilliantly. Uh, you know, taking that Prince Charming character and turning him into this vain, you know, misogynist monster. I thought they did that super well. I wonder and sometimes... if you were an actor, if you were an actor, that's the part you'd want to play. So as a writer, oh, absolutely. They're, they're the characters you want to write. So I think that's why my, my secondary characters often steal the book. Mm. Yes, I think that happens a lot. Do you think it's perhaps 
I wonder whether it's a reaction to <laughs> the fact that all three of us are teachers. So we do have to be on our best behavior throughout the day. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I always feel like part of our job is to be the dancing monkey in a lecture room and be, you know, upbeat and enthusiastic and passionate about the work and treat all of the students with, you know, um, respect and um, be a sort of nurturing presence. And so then sometimes when you go back to your, your own work, that kind kind of uh, Mr. Hyde persona kicks in and you think, I just want to write someone rotten now and <laughs> get it all off my chest. So Dr. Alex and Mr. Vickery Howe, I quite <laughs> like the sound of that. Uh, perhaps, I mean, I, I found when I was writing Star Wars novels that um, the characters I was most interested in were the secondary characters and uh, I quite enjoyed wrapping stories around them if I could, the characters in the middle. Whereas writing lines for, say, Leia Organa or Darth Vader, I mean, they were fun, but there wasn't much you could do with them, partly because they were locked down by the franchise. You, you couldn't write a story yeah. about Leia mm -hmm. having a nervous breakdown and <laughs> or whatever, or Darth Vader patting a puppy. They're, they're I would read the book. Through. I would, I would, I would <laughs> yeah. fear for the puppy, Vader but I would read the, the book. Space puppy. <laughs> <laughs> what right. about though? I mean, you you created Starkiller, right? Or you you wrote? I mean, I know it was yes. based on a game, but you you fleshed that out. That's a character who's hovering between. Yes. Darkness and, and light. And that's an interesting space, right? That's right. He was really interesting to write because he was an abused child, now a teenager mm. or early adult. And, and that was a really interesting character to explore. A child that was raised by an abusive monster, i.e. Darth Vader. Uh, what's that character going to be like as they're exposed to more and more positive influences? That was really fascinating and fun to write. And how much of that was sort of pre-written pre or pre-designed and how much of that was coming from you? All the dialogue in the script was pre-written. I, I, I was very careful to keep to the exact script. But a lot of the internal thoughts and agonies mm. which were implied by the, the script um, were brought out by me in, in the book. And that, that was great fun. I enjoyed that a lot. Following the breadcrumbs to the character. Within. Mm. Yeah, and it's fascinating because there's like a sketch there. There's like, an, there's like a chalk outline of a character. But then mm. you get to kind of fill it, you know, with all of his internal baggage, I think is really exciting. And, he, and, and as a character, not quite as fixed as a, as a Leia Organa and a, and a Darth mm. Vader, so I suppose. In terms of process, Sean, how do you go about that? Like, do you, how, how do you go about fleshing in that chalk outline? Do you brainstorm? Do you just daydream? Do you write drafts? Like, do you go through character sheets? Like, technically, how do you start doing that? In, a Star, in the Star Wars universe yeah. specifically, I would approach it like I would a historical novel, um, mm -hmm. a, a real historical person uh, about which uh, a few details I know, like Alex and I are, are currently researching Colonel William Light for a possible novel we'd like to write together. So the first thing we've done is got a biography. We'll read it, find the gaps, define the chalk outline and then work out where the gaps are to make the character interesting. And, and that was very much the same with the Star Wars novel novels, that uh, you, you are given the shape of the character broadly but there there is lots of room within the universe to add things uh, add nuances add suggestions of character or, or overt explorations of character just through the the universe that's around the person and and i guess in a game uh, there's less room to explore context and nuance in most games anyway uh, than there is in a novel so you kind of have to if you want to write a good novel go down these paths to find ways to make them feel more real mm. does that make sense how, how, yeah mm, absolutely how about you, Alex? How do you go about developing like your heroes or villains? Um, I, I, I still think I've got an actor's brain from 
from going to drama school. And so one of the criticisms I still get as a writer, not when I write for performance, but as I'm dipping my toe into into writing novels, is that um, I get a little bit too much inside a character's head and... Uh, you kind of lose that point of view sort of thing. I have to I have to kind of, well, the book, Stupid Dead Boy, the book I'm writing at the moment, I've really set myself, okay, I am stuck in this one character's head because otherwise I'll kind of weirdly start living all of them yeah. and, <laughs> and then it becomes a little bit unclear. You sort of go, oh, wow, he's now playing that minor character and we're getting to know that minor character a little too well. <laughs> we we yeah. really don't need to know. Um, well, the other I love thing you find too... too. When you start getting that deep, in, which you do, I think if you change point of view, you, you end up very deep in other people's characters, is it's very hard to remember what, where the reader is and what they know and don't know. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. How about yeah, you, Amy? Do you, do you create character sheets? Do you have um, wikis of your characters? Or no, do mine's you... very, very, very unconscious, I think. I think I do it all. Like I do a lot of pre-writing. I think I've said before, it takes me forever to start the first draft I often start things three or four times before I get there and I think that's about nailing the character if I can get the characters done they just take over and and do their bit but it takes me a long time to get there but I um I probably do a lot of daydreaming and thinking about character and one of the best resources I found years ago at a conference I saw her speak is there's a, a woman named Deborah Dixon who's an author I think I might have put it in the course you're currently teaching, Sean. There might be a, a week's <laughs> lecture so. on it. Yeah. Um, and she wrote a book called Goal Motivation Conflict about how, mm. to, how you get to conflict through character. And I've found her work really helpful. And sometimes it's helpful at second draft or third draft when a, something's not working. You know, when you haven't motivated someone well enough, when some action happens and you're kind of like, well, that feels a bit forced or that's a bit quick. Yeah, or, it's a pet peeve of mine. Um, particularly arguments that come out of nowhere happens in theatre a oh, lot. Yeah. And it you happens go, in romance a lot. Why are you guys arguing? You, you have you have no real... You've gone from zero to ten yeah, <laughs> for yeah. no reason. So her book really is dealing with that and, and she talks about how goal is what your character wants, motivation is why they want it and then conflict is why they can't have it. And that if you bring every scene should have those arcs and every kind of chapter should have those arcs of what do they want and they can be smaller things so every scene they have to want something otherwise it doesn't work on the page and that really helped me like I don't use it consciously but I think I'm probably always thinking about it in the back of my mind so that now my first drafts are much more polished because I think every it's like a film right if it doesn't move the story forward it has to go it has to go We, we say all the time in drama that um, all drama is conflict and that's true of Home and Away that's true of Star Wars it basically mm-hmm. boils down to someone wants something someone's in the way yeah. and I think it's good to go back to those first principles when and you find yourself useful, meandering I think I think what's really useful about hers specifically is then every single time she talks about it in terms of external conflict and internal conflict that there has to be something emotionally getting in their way I mean that's what Sean's talking about with Starkiller, right, is that you you excavated this history for him and this history of um, being an abused person and then getting... There are all kinds of ways we screw ourselves up, like we're constantly getting in our own ways. And, yeah, um, absolutely. And, yeah. and finding that for each character, how are they fucking up their own life? Yes, because right. we usually are our, our own worst enemies. The classic one that we use a lot, um, or I, I 
I whip this one out a lot. Um, I don't think many students these days are familiar with Jaws, but it's a really good one. Because, I love Jaws. Um, they always say that drama should have three conflicts. Uh, it's a bit sexist, but man versus man, man versus nature, man versus himself, or woman versus woman, woman versus nature, woman versus himself. And at the climax of a drama, those three conflicts should come together. And Jaws does it extremely well because... Chief Brody is the main character in Jaws. He's in conflict with another man who is the mayor who wants to keep the beach open. He's in conflict with nature, and that's a bit of a no-brainer. There's a shark eating everybody. But the <laughs> it doesn't really get much more obvious than that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty clear. But the really interesting part is he's in conflict with himself because he's actually terrified of the water, mm. uh, which is the thing that everyone forgets about Jaws. So the end, he confronts the mayor, he gets in a boat, he confronts his fear of the water and he takes on the shark so all three of those conflicts the external mm. the internal the conflict with nature and i think if you can nail that in a story and it all comes together in that moment very very hard to do but that's where you get the goosebumps in a story i think yeah that's where it's so satisfying isn't it yeah, mm. yeah. It's, it's, e it's easy to admire it when it's happening it's very hard to do <laughs> yeah a friend of mine um actually says a really why well, she's a psychologist but this was some of the best character advice i ever got she always said your strengths are your weaknesses mm. and that if you can identify your character's strengths they will also be their weaknesses so yes if they're, if they're determined they're probably also stubborn mm. if you know, you could think of six billion. If they're principled, they might also be a bit unyielding. Um, yeah, I think that's brilliant. We were talking about that this week with the students with Antigone, the ancient Greek play, and we were saying her fatal flaw is also her strength. She's stubborn and yeah. strong. It's true Can't of Macbeth. You know, Macbeth is super ambitious. That could be a good thing, but it becomes a fatal flaw when you start stabbing all your friends. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting when you think about yourself too, like what your strengths are and, and how they're also your weaknesses. Mm. Um, and, and in terms of process too, and yourself as an artist, like your strengths are your weaknesses. <laughs> this like is Alex becoming is like therapy at, again. <laughs> well, Alex is great at dialogue, right? But you were yes. saying that then your, your flaw is that you often f slip into dialogue and forget to do the other things. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. What's your I, flaw? I love secondary characters, so they tend to take over too much. <laughs> I have that flaw too. I've got two flaws. <laughs> what about you, Sean? I, my flaw is that I can't, I, I don't know what my flaws are. I haven't, I haven't, well, I know I have lots of flaws. That's I'm far, like far one of those perfect. job interview answers. <laughs> yes. I know yes. it is, isn't it? I might just try too hard. <laughs> I, I, think I, I think I love my work too much. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, I, I'm not making any claims like that. I think I like, well, I can think of process flaws, lots of process flaws. Like I love doing first drafts. I don't like stopping. I, I love keeping on going, which makes me incredibly prolific but it also means that maybe if I went a bit slower uh, my work would be a bit more polished I don't know but uh, in terms of characters I'll have to give this some serious thought I've learned something <laughs> today we were you're talking trigger about some kind of nervous breakdown yeah exactly well I think it, it relates back to work-life balance as well that you can I can get obsessed with a draft and keep going and going and then think oh I haven't seen anyone for a few days so that can be an issue um, mm. how's this one I want to run this one by you we were talking about Anakin Skywalker the other day in class and we said yeah. that his flaw is that he loves too much or he loves too hard hmm. it's not it's a, is it love though he's well it's a, a selfish stalky. it's a selfish obsessive possessive I don't know that he'd survive the me too era kind of rewrites <laughs> 
<laughs> but it is and interesting I really thing. can't stand what they did to Padme Amidala. Oh, oh no, neither, neither can poor. I. So no, it's, poor. It's, it's very poor. But it is an interesting thing that if that had been done well, you could argue that his strength and his weakness were, you know, mm. were one and the same. I often do this in class. I'll, I'll talk about Macbeth, realise that 90% of the people in the room have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then I'll go, okay, Anakin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though, talking about character, because then if you think about the latest Star Wars films, listening to Mark Hamill talk about the way they wrote Luke and he doesn't feel Luke would have done any of those things. It's interesting about that character consistency. But also about ownership, right, between an yeah. actor and an author, because that can be really interesting, too, where you might be rewriting something and... Um, an actor who's invested in a certain amount of rehearsal or maybe has only done a few reads but suddenly says, oh, you know, I've, I've started to develop my version of who this person is and there's no way they would, they would do that thing. That's an interesting space, I think. Do you yeah, know what I've is. been struggling with the last few years is because I was writing romance for a few books there and you have these two main characters and in each book one of the main characters would just take over and the other one was a bit softer and harder Mm. and there were a couple of characters I really struggled with because they just felt too passive and that is that weird space of feeling like well that's authentic to that character but also I don't want them to be all wet (laughs) (laughs) so how do you beef up someone who is a little bit weaker on the page you know if you've got one really strong personality that just hijacks the page what do you do with the other characters? Well, passivity is a kind of strength as well, isn't it? I mean, the the decision not to engage, not to be uh, at the forefront is, is still a decision. I'm thinking of introverts. You know, introverts lead complex mm. and rich lives uh, and ha- exert all sorts of interesting controls over their environment, uh, but just not in a very obvious way. How you portray that without being in the inside the head of that character is a really interesting challenge um, that uh, is not unsolvable uh, I think you just have to start looking for different cues mm. um, and present them to the reader as as the cues you want them to be so little signs become become signs of incredible import once the reader knows the context yeah I think I, just as you were talking it occurred to me that sense of humor actually has been a way mm. in of trying it because everyone has such a distinct sense of humor and once you've got someone's sense of humour down, you've kind of nailed what kind of intelligence they have mm. and what kind of personality they have. Humour's great. Uh, I mean, I, I don't write comedy at all, but I love using humour now as a way of surprising the reader and surprising the characters as they interact with each other. Because humour humor's so spontaneous and a, a rich source of an unusual kind of drama. Mm. Um, That's what you trade in, Alex, isn't it? Humor. Like yours yeah. Is very well, funny. well, you know, I think um, I'm. I'm sorry. I just got engrossed listening and forgot that I'm actually part of the podcast. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, which is probably a good sign. But I, uh, I enjoy. I think I enjoy villains with a sense of humor because a villain with a sense of humor is completely unfiltered, unguarded, and they will and say and do the darkest most- stuff. Yeah, most villains don't have a sense of humour if you think about it. So mm. once you have one with a sense of humour, they're much fr- more frightening. Well, there's a supreme confidence in that. One of the things they say well, about you know they've linked they link humour to intelligence. So it's also probably on an instinctual level we recognise that as someone who's very very intelligent. And is therefore, you know, a few steps ahead. One of the yeah. things they, they say about really good villains 
and I'm, I'm again thinking about bloody Star Wars again. I've got to move on. Or, I'm you thinking know, about like, Star Wars too, too. <laughs> so you're not alone. <laughs> or, you know, Ian McKellen in, in X-Men. Villains that are so supremely confident that, or any Bond villain, any Bond villain, they're supremely confident because they think they're 10 steps ahead. Lex Luthor's like this too. They think they're going to win. And so they literally don't really do anything until the last two minutes. Their, their plan is in motion. But, you know, the Emperor in Star Wars doesn't get off that chair until he absolutely has to because he thinks he's got it all won, right? And then right at the end he goes, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm going to have to get up now and blast you with lightning. Um, so, you know, villains, I think it's their smarminess and their confidence that's a lot narcissism of fun to write. Too. It's narcissism. Generally they're narcissistic and Machiavellian and... Um, I, I'm watching Killing Eve at the moment. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, I talk about a character who's 10 steps ahead. It's really engrossing to watch because you go through this thing. For, your initial reaction is this person is horrible and abhorrent. And then you go, this person's brilliant. They're getting away with it. And then before you know it, you find yourself in this really uncomfortable space where um, you don't necessarily want them to lose. And I think that can happen with a really well-written villain. You go, oh, you're a monster. Monster, but oh, I'm kind of with you, you know. Or is that just me? <laughs> You're no, making no, me want totally to write you. villains now. I just <laughs> want to go write villains. I tend What's to have the... books that don't have villains, which I, it's something that I've really got to work on. Apart from Star Wars and some of my early novels, I like writing about nice people who have conflicts with each other instead of monsters and things like that. I, I don't know what that means. So, what's the worst <laughs> means character nice, you've ever Sean. written? <laughs> what, what's the kind of most unlikable, um, nasty character you've ever written and not Vader, someone not Vader. <laughs> Although just harking back to uh, senses of humour and bad guys, the uh, dad joke in, was it Rogue One by Darth Vader, was one of the lowest points of <laughs> villain writing uh, I've ever seen. Is that oh. the line about aspirations? Is that the one? Yes, is, don't yes. do joke on your aspirations or whatever it was. Just terrible. Oh, awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad we have to laugh. Uh, look, I've written all sorts of horrible characters in horror writing. In fact, I'm, I've, I've got to write a short story right now that's so horrific. I, I can't actually write from the point of view of the main character. It has to be written in this exploded, deconstructed kind of way through the testimonies of the people who've uncovered the crime and, uh, and mm. uh, piecing it together bit by bit. It's just too foul. But I was tempted to write from that person's point of view because it comes from a place of great need and vulnerability. I just didn't want to describe in detail what they did. Mm. Mm -hmm. Too horrible. <laughs> yeah, you don't necessarily you, want to live there. Oh, no. look, my rogues gallery of horrible people. Um, <laughs> I'm writing a play at the moment for the, um, well, for a local director. And I don't know if this play is even going to happen when I'm at first draft stage and I'll probably finish it this week. But there's a character called Harlow who is an agent. She's a talent agent. And she's probably the most horrible person I've ever written moment to moment. And it's the most fun I've ever had because <laughs> whenever I get bored, I go, what's Harlow doing? She's named after um, Jean Harlow. Uh, and it's not, it's not a real name name it's like a glamour name and then so you don't even know who she really is and I, and I don't even want to know I kind of drop hints where people talk a little bit about her past but it's kind of better not to know but she is so snarky because she on you know she's the nightmare version of what an agent can be manipulative and um 
this is in kind of the the actor model space but then she's also a serial killer so um it goes to another level wow. and i've i'm just having a lot of fun and i and feeling pretty horrendous about it but uh <laughs> um but how's your has- agent gonna feel when you uh- <laughs> I don't know. Not great, probably. But she's she's absolutely taken over the whole thing. I think I've had in the westerns a lot of horrible characters, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> a lot of gunslingers and murderers and and rapists and horrors. There's the last book that came out in December um, features what they call the Great Hunt, which is where this group rogues gallery is basically hunting the hero, and that's got oh, just dear. some of the worst characters I've ever had to write. It was great. <laughs> it was That's so much horrible. fun. Do you know what I've realised? We, we've spent most of this episode talking about villains and not very much about about heroes. A little bit about heroes. A friend of mine likes to say that uh, if you're writing heroes and villains, this is Tim Powers, a fantasy writer from America, that uh, you know put people you admire in in your books by all means, but show their bad sides as well. You know, show them mm. doing bad things. Show someone yeah. you love and respect doing a bad thing. And same with people you despise. Show them patting a puppy. I'm sure even. Darth Vader may have picked up a kitten at some point in his career. Do they have kittens in the Star Wars universe? They do. They have these... Um, space puppies, space no, they, kittens. They actually do have these space kittens now. I'm not even making this up. And they're turning up... They're in the Mandalorian. They're in the animated series, both of them, I think. Uh, I can't remember what they're called, but there's some kind of Star Wars cat, and they're everywhere. Are they tribbles? Are they tribbles? Did they cross? They're a bit <laughs> like Cross-pollinate. Yeah. <laughs> mashups. Why not? That's that's a, a great sort of romance idea, isn't it? The mashup, yeah. mashup is a... I do think with heroes, the main problem is not making them boring. Yeah. And I think the deeper you can get into their point of view and show their doubts and their fears, because the last thing anyone wants is a goody two-shoes. Yeah, or, or you fall back on that thing where, the, where someone is chosen and they're perfect, and I think we're probably a little bit beyond, beyond that now. Oh, but, I don't know. There's always a new audience coming up behind us who's never seen that kind of story before. Yeah, I suppose that's the true. I learn that every year with students, and the older I get, the less my pop cultural references have any oh, currency. Oh, I know. That moment where you've <laughs> lost all all respectability i will say just to bring it back to star wars since that's our text of the day that i think this is why a lot of people way prefer han solo to luke right luke's a little bit gooby he's a bit yeah really I nice mean, or jack sparrow to whoever the hell orlando bloom plays i don't even know he's you know a bit cardboard in that isn't he? he doesn't have that much of a character wolverine to cyclops i mean who cares about mm. cyclops the good guy who has to work hard to be good i think is way more interesting the good woman who has to work hard to be good Mm. They're so much more interesting. Like oh, Melanie in, in Gone with the Wind is so boring compared to Scarlet. Or, uh, um, or the Becky girl with Sharp the dragon tattoo. Who's, who's yeah. the girl with the dragon tattoo? Uh, I've forgotten her name. Uh, what's that character called? You're, you're being Nana Joy this episode now. Oh, I am being oh, Nana Joy. We're all being being Nana Joy. You know the girl in that movie that we. That you, oh, you know her. Um, is anyway. it's it something Salander? Is it Elizabeth? Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Like yes, yes. I mean, there's right. a character who's deeply complex and introverted. Now we really sound old. What? Not only are we struggling for the cultural reference, we're like going through all these weird names to get there. <laughs> but she's an introverted <laughs> character, but has a very rich internal life. That's an example, I think, because she would she doesn't speak very much, but mm. her presence is felt by everyone. I guess the lesson here is to write not heroes and villains, but to write real people. Yes, which you should do it with every character. That's my feeble attempt to tie this episode up with a bow. <laughs> We're very hard to corral, aren't we? We're like space cats. <laughs> we are like space kittens. That's right. 
Well, I think it's time to call it a break, uh, my wonderful colleagues. Uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about next episode, but I'm sure we'll think of something. We will because we've got lots of time while we're locked in to think of topics. <laughs> <laughs> and That's actually, right. do you know if you've got any topics you would like to hear from us, do use our social media and reach out to us at Word Docs. Um, you can find us on the Ozcast page, all our different contact details. Do let us know if there's a topic you want us to cover. Brilliant. Great idea. Thanks. Stay well. Stay inside. <laughs> Stay safe. Why don't you write when you don't need money? All your notes sound alike too much. All of them start with I love you, honey, but they end with the same old touch. Just for a change, send a nice loving letter and cut out that please remit. Why don't you write when you don't need money, honey? That would certainly make a hit. Don't say happy writing. Don't say it. <laughs> what, what are the consequences no, if I do? To. No, no, yeah. don't say it. Uh, to everyone out there, enjoy the uh, gift of the written word. Amy, are you hearing clipping there when Alex says yeah, that? Yeah, I so am. Are you so very close? I'm Try quite far back. back. How about from really? here? Oh, it's just your voice. <laughs> it's, just a, it's such a powerful, resonant voice. It's See, now you're too far away. Voice. Okay, from here, how's this? That's good. Okay. To everyone out there, please enjoy the gift of the written word. See you next time.